ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It's where you say almost the same thing, but then you flip it a little bit and it takes on new meaning. That's a chiasma. Welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to record their stories and their memories to share with their family and friends and with future generations, and they need our help. And just a quick reminder before we jump into today's interview, there's still time to enter the contest for the free copy of Scrivener, the writing software. So if you want to get your name in the drawing, all you have to do is leave a written review for this podcast, the Life Story Coach podcast on iTunes, and then send me an email with I reviewed the show in the subject line. All of the reviews are anonymous. There's no need for you to tell me what you wrote. Just tell me in the subject line that you wrote one. And I'll be drawing a name from a hat the week of February 18th. So make sure to get your name in soon. Today, I'm very excited that we have Anne Croker with us. Anne is a writing coach with 25 years in the publishing industry. She's a published author, a speaker, and a poet, and her coaching clients have gone on to have successful freelance writing careers. They've won book contracts. Their books have landed on the bestseller list. Anne herself has written several books, including On Being a Writer, which she co-authored with Charity Singleton Craig. And I discovered Anne um, through her podcast. She creates these really wonderful short podcast posts about anything and everything having to do with writing. So I thought, oh, how perfect to have her on the show. Anne, welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't we jump into things by having you tell us a little bit about what got you into not so much writing, but coaching writers? That is a great question. When somebody proposed that I might be a writing coach, I said, what's a writing coach? <laughs> so I did. it's not something I intentionally sought. It's just something I naturally was doing. So I'll just back up a little bit prior to when I launched this business as a writing coach. I had been an, a writer. I, I really launched my writing life as a poet out of college and then went into freelance writing, essays, and then eventually got online like most of us did with a website and used the blog feature to write uh, blog posts and what I now like to just say articles because blogging is sort of transforming now. But I was creating content and then I joined various communities, especially two in particular that were writing focused. And through that, I ended up on the editorial team of two of these online organizations. So I was working with other editors and I had a managing editor, but then I was also still submitting content to other places too. So I had, I was in different, seeing, seeing writing from different angles and my managing editor at one of those um, organizations said, Anne, the way that you edit these people's work is with a coaching heart. You really want mm. them to succeed. You're trying to help them improve as you're editing their content. And it's true that, and part of that came from her training. And so at some point she said, I really think you should become a writing coach. In fact, so much so that I said, oh, that's a good idea. I had already put editor as part of my kind of my tagline at the time. And she said, no, 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 just writing coach. 
And I couldn't bring myself to do it. I, I kept, I had, it used to be writing coach, Ann Croker, writing coach, editor, friend. And she said, you really need to narrow that down to writing coach and just let that be your thing. And it took me a little while to even understand really what a writing coach could bring to people. And, um, but I went ahead and forged on with this editor thing. And then I realized I can't do it all. I didn't have enough time because of some life restrictions that were happening in, with family. Um, so I had to drop something. And so I did drop editor from my tagline and from some of my, it's just, I didn't offer that as a main service anymore. And when I did that, I had to drop friend too, which my son thought was hilarious. <laughs> I'm no longer anybody's friend. Uh, so, so I just became Ann Croker, a writing coach. And I found that she was right. That focus really helped me begin to serve people. They began to identify me as a writing coach and come to me for that kind of work. And then the more I did it, the more I began to see the possibilities of what I would bring to other people's lives and how I could support their writing life. And for me, I know a lot of people, they zero in and they help in a, with a certain kind of coaching. In fact, that's what you're doing when you're coaching, you're coaching writers to write other people's stories. So you have a very focused kind of coaching business. And some people do um, focus on fiction and coaching people to write novels. Some people focus on nonfiction, but focus on books as a writing coach at the developmental level, kind of it's like a developmental edit approach. But I, because of my life experience as a writer, I had experience with poetry, essays, freelance, developing a freelance writing business, writing online, developing a platform. And I had, so I just had all of this experience from all these different angles. And so I just bring all that to my clients and I leverage all of that. So it allows me personally to customize to people and bring, you know, a lot of knowledge and experience to mm -hmm. their, their unique situation. Well, and you know, something that strikes me is that you're, you're talking about having coming to it with a coaching heart, which obviously is a little bit different than an editor's analytic toolkit. There's overlap, clearly. But the interesting thing for me is that we life story professionals, so the people who come into this field to write books for other people or make videos or audios for other people, we also have to have that kind of service oriented um, service orientation because you're not going to come in here and think that you're going to write your own book your own way. Um, and I think as a whole, the industry attracts people who are service minded. And it sounds like you are um, kind of treading your own path because you realize that that is an element within you. So you have a love of writing, but you also have this love of helping other people. Absolutely. You have to be other others focused. You have to be rooting for their success. You can't, I mean, you might maybe some, at some point you would feel some level of jealousy at your client's success, but that, that I haven't felt that. And I've had some clients have tremendous success. You really have to, to be there to serve and, and just have that erase all sense of it being a zero sum game. You are here to serve and to see them succeed and go as far as they possibly can. At least that's as a coach, I'm trying, I'm rooting for their success. Now, as a life story writer, you're there to shepherd their story and in whatever format and for whatever purpose they have in mind, whatever their goals are. But yeah, it's others focused. And that is kind of hard for some writers to shift that mindset. Like you said, they're so used to doing their own work 
that to completely serve someone else is, is a little bit foreign. I think because of the editing background that helped me because I'm already there to shepherd their words. But I even now, now that I'm not doing editing with a coaching heart anymore, I actually, because of my editing experience, I can actually coach with an editor's eye. Mm. So I can, you know, I used to edit with a coach's heart. Now I bring my coach's heart to everything that I do for my clients, but I can also offer rich editorial input if they want it. But it's with the coaching purpose, not because I'm their editor. In fact, I always insist that the buck will not stop here. I will not be your last set of eyeballs on your work. I'm merely showing you and teaching you uh, various techniques or seeing you're, you're consistently doing X and here's why that's not great. And, and then I would highlight it, but then I fix little things along the way and tell them why. I'd like to follow up on that a little bit. It would be interesting to hear your take on what the difference is between an editor and a coach, because I think for a lot of us, it's, it's very fuzzy. We're not, we're not really sure where the parameters lie. Um, but also because there are uh, a number of life story professionals who offer coaching services. So they might not necessarily be writing the books. They might not be doing that work for the client, but they might be serving as a a coach for the client who wants to write their own story. So can you start by telling us a little bit about um, just kind of briefly what the differences are between the two? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about how we can improve our skills as a coach to a life story client. Wow, that's that's an interesting thing. I haven't really... I've never really explored the difference quite so distinctly. I would say you're right. There's there's a gray area because I absolutely believe that if you ha- are an editor who is a developmental editor, you're really doing a lot of coaching along the way. But a lot of developmental editors I know also can't resist providing really a lot of copy editing input where they're really going to be marking it up, marking up the copy and getting it closer to, to ready for publication or submission or whatever is the next step for that manuscript. But I I think you're right. The development, developmental editors are thinking so um, from such a high level, uh, mm-hmm. They're looking at the edit from a high level and looking at organiz- the ideas, the organization, the flow. Are there chunks missing here that we need to put in? And that that requires a kind of coaching, asking good questions and drawing them out. So whether they know it or not, I think a developmental editor probably is coaching, whether they attach that title to what they're doing. But I think coaches... I mean, most people who are becoming writing coaches probably have publishing experience, writing experience, and probably a little editing experience too. So likely they too are providing input on other people's content. Although I don't really know. I haven't like uh, compared notes with other coaches, but I do find that my my um, clients are always shocked at how much input I offer when they sign up for that element of coaching, if they want me to review their content, they're always pleasantly surprised that I provide them with such a detailed amount of input on their actual writing. So maybe I'm doing more than the typical coach, you know, uh, value added service, um, go, uh, above and beyond. But I, I feel like, um, it would be easy if somebody wanted to offer coaching and just figure out what, what is different about it. Now, I can more easily distinguish when I am providing them with other kinds of 
non-writing input. Like you really need to develop your platform. Let's talk about that. All right, here are five things you can do this week to develop your platform. And that's coaching input from me that I happen to know about and understand and can work with that person and their strengths to make suggestions. And then they try things and they kind of check back in. So that's more of a coaching thing. I think sticking with a time you know, setting them up with milestones that they can hit of deadlines and trying to achieve certain things by a certain time. That is a coaching kind of task to be a, 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 not you're you're not project managing it, but you are offering that as a support to them. So coaches are supposed to be supporting the creative work of a, a writing coach of the writer. Uh, like I shouldn't be writing it for you. I'm, I'm really not your editor either. I'm helping you become a better writer. And so that's why I bring that editorial piece because I'm trying to help them become a better writer. It, it, it's it's tempting, isn't it? I, I would think that you, Amy, and, and your listeners are tempted to say, oh, I could say so many neat things here. I could tweak that. I could add a little phrase. That would be a nice turn of phrase. It would, I, I imagine it would be tempting. Well, Do you, you know, tell th- me. That's an interesting, that's an interesting comment because um, – this is just from my own experience. There's a couple of things fighting against that. One is there's a general misperception that people think that I just take the the transcript material and I dump it into a Word file and I make sure that the events occur in the right order and then we're done and we call it a day. But I don't think if it's if it's one percent of the transcript, so that you know, I, I do a series of interviews and I have them transcribed and the transcription is my main source material for writing the book for the storyteller. Now if there's one percent of that that makes it into the book verbatim, then that's probably high <laughs> because Every, every utterance is reworked because as you know, none of us, even people who write for a living, we don't speak the way we want something to appear on the page. And so everything is definitely changed when it goes into the draft. But having said that, my goal and people who have regular listeners to the show, I'm sure have heard me say this before. My goal is to make the voice of the, the, the voice in the writing be what the storyteller's voice would have been had they been a writer. So I don't want to bring my own writer's voice to the page. I want to create a writer's voice for the storyteller based on their real voice. If they were a writer, they would have a writer's voice. And that's what my job is to help supply that for them. Um, But the thing that keeps any of us probably from trying to make it too lyrical, make it too literary is um, time. If you're doing this for for a job, you don't have endless amounts of time to work on it. So you want to get it as, as good as you can. You want it to be as true to the storyteller's voice as it can be. Um, and then you call it a day because it's in the in the end, it's not your book. It is their story and it should be their voice as much as we, the writer, can make it be. That's a, yeah, that's a great distinction. I love I love what you said there about creating their writing voice if they had a writing voice. And you have the advantage in that the whole reason they're hiring you is because they're not writers and they will never probably put pen to paper over the top of what you've delivered. Uh, the, that's why they needed 
a, a life storyteller for themselves. And so, yeah, that's really neat. And I love that you're still honoring their, their voice. You're just finding it for them. That's cool. right. Yeah, that's, that is the whole idea and to get out of the way. So when we're sitting down to do interviews with them, to get out of the way, to, to, to bear witness to the stories that they're telling and then to write it, but keep ourselves out of it. I, quite a few episodes ago, I interviewed, um, uh, Tim Vandehey, who is a ghostwriter, like a, a, you know, full out ghostwriter. He does that in kinds of books and they're all, they're all commercially published. And he, in conversation, he said, you can't have an ego if you're a ghostwriter. In that respect, we are sort of ghostwriters and we can't bring our ego to the table. You as somebody clearly has a love for writing, you're a poet and you write your own stories. It's it's kind of sad that, um, at least for me, I don't do very much of my own writing anymore. And I wish that I had the time. I wish that I could figure out a balance where I could have some of my own writing and still have the time that I need to devote to the writing I do for work. Um, because I think that probably one feeds the other. Now, my youngest child just left for college. So this is my first school year of being without kids in the house. So I do have a little bit more time. So I actually, I have been doing a little bit more writing. And I think it, I think that that helps me keep my skills sharp as a writer. And that was something that I wanted to ask you about because you have a lot of ideas on how to improve writing skills. And even if we're writing life story books that aren't, you know, in some ways they are not really, you know, quote unquote, our books, we still have to be good writers. We still have to know how to link up words, to create sentences that flow within paragraphs that create a, a long narrative. And I liked some of the ideas that you have, which one of them is doing copy work. And I was hoping copy work and marginalia. I think I just like those words too. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could talk a little bit about that, um, and, and I maybe you mentioned those in your book. Um, I, I'm not sure, no. or maybe I saw that on one of your blog posts, but uh, just talk a little bit about that. I mean, they're, they're both kind of um, old fashioned ideas. They sure are. Classic. How can we apply them to make our own writing better? As a lifelong learner, I would like to think that any writer is always looking for ways to improve and grow and have that growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset, like, well, I'm as good as I'm going to ever be. And I think that's, um, you know, a, a very limiting way of viewing ourselves. We can always get better. And so I read this, uh, I think it was James Scott Bell at the, I think it's called the kill zone or something because he writes thrillers. Um, he wrote a piece about developing your own course of study by recognizing your, where you're weak as a writer. And sometimes that it's helpful to have somebody else reading your work, another colleague, another writer, a writing buddy, um, maybe an editor, maybe a coach who gives you a little input and says, you know, your dialogue is a little, a little weak, a little bit predictable. I think you could probably sharpen it up. And I think that actually was the very example he used for himself. And so he went out and got all the books he could find on dialogue. And then he would look at books where he knew he loved the dialogue fiction that, you know, novels that he loved. And he studied what they did. And he, I don't know if he actually literally copied it out, but that was what he was doing was going to the models. You're looking for models as well as instruction books. And he found that there was a serious lack of, books about writing dialogue. And so he wrote one, but he studying those models is how he got better is and in, in, in finding the models um, 
that is the first step to any kind of copy work. What are you drawn to? What's some book? Uh, what are some books that have really captivated you? Those are the ones to start with, I think, and go look at, at that book and try to unpack why it's working so well. What techniques have they used? So for people in your work, I would think memoir would be great to look at. Biographies would be great to look at, especially those that have just held you spellbound. Okay, so now you get to go in and, and figure it out. And one way to do that is by taking passages and actually copying them out. And there are many famous writers who have actually done this. Um, Jack London copied out, I think he was enamored with um, Kipling, I think. And he copied out verbatim a lot of Kipling's work. And then Hunter Thompson, I may, I think I said the right name, copied out The Great Gatsby word for word on a typewriter. He wanted to un- unlock the magic and see if he could learn from it. So the, the, the danger, of course, is being a little too hev- heavily influenced by the style. But the advantage is they become a mentor to you. This dead author, you know, potentially living author, depending on who you choose, becomes like a mentor to you because their words and the way they put their thoughts together, then you're absorbing that as you copy it. Probably as long as there's been handwriting and students and tutors, this has been a very basic way to teach writing is to look at the masters and learn from the masters. And it doesn't have to be a master writer. It can just be some work that you admire that you feel like is something has something that you can learn from and gain from. So the marginalia is, is where you read and annotate as you read. And adults don't do that quite so much anymore. I don't know if you were trained to do that in high school or college where you were. Well, that's actually very funny that you ask because we were library goers when I was a kid. We we never bought books. I mean, there weren't um, used bookstores around us. And, you know, clearly there wasn't Amazon or anything like that. But we all four people in my family, my sister, my parents, and I, we were all voracious readers. But every single book we had was from the library. We didn't own books. We didn't have books lying around except for the library books. And so I never wrote in a book at all because that would have been sacrilegious. And then my college roommate, Nicole, I remember, I still remember to this day being horrified seeing her. She had a paperback book and she was going through and using a yellow highlighter on it. And I think a pen too. And I, I was sort of horrified, but in a in a very excited way, because I realized, oh my gosh, I can do this too. I can not only own books, I can go out and buy books, but I can make them my own in this very personal way, because it's it's like you're entering into a conversation or a dialogue with the author, isn't it? That's exactly right. And I had a very similar experience, Amy. I was also a heavy user of the library, and but I also lived in a house where my parents were had just an amazing I can't probably thousands of books I don't know but but they would not let me put a mark on a page anywhere and so I I, despite it's sort of like being in the ocean and not being able to drink of the water well I could read the books but I couldn't mark in them and the same thing happened I was astonished that you could write in the margins, do the highlighter thing. I think we're of a similar era. And um, yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like it's horrifying and freeing at the same time. Right, right. It's it, it was a little bit of a charge. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> what? This is 
too exciting. I I expected to go away from home and have some independence, but I never expected this. It's like a, being a graffiti artist, but not getting yeah. arrested. Yeah. yeah so, but, so, but that 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 you're you said it so well. That idea that you're dialoguing with the author and entering into that conversation, and then you also used that that phrase that you really own the book. Then, and I think that is uh, I've read that as well with uh, other people who encourage the that practice is that you it's it it's not that you own it because you wrote it and it's it's yours because you began to engage with the material more deeply than you maybe ever have before so you, there's a book called reading like a writer i think that's oh, right i have that francine yeah. prose yes. yeah yes and but like so if you do if you do start writing in the margins and circling things there's sort of the reader level where we read it and we might put a big question mark what do they mean here or is this foreshadowing if it's a novel and so we have different ways of uh, my, uh, underlining a word that we don't know uh things like that that are sort of basic reading types of marks that we put on there uh the other thing though is to begin looking at it as a writer. And that's where if you're not going to do the copy work, which is laborious, it feels old fashioned. I think you said that earlier. And, and a lot of people just won't have the patience to do it. I mean, they'd rather look at Facebook. And I understand that that draw is far more powerful than sitting down and copying out by hand, or even typing up like Hunter Thompson, something that you admire. We talked, uh, you and I talked previously uh, uh, in a private conversation about Ben Franklin, and he did this. He had a nice approach. Now, maybe this would be more appealing to people, too. What he would do, what, and this is in his autobiography, he chronicled by himself, explained by himself, how he would read something he admired in a newspaper. And then he would make a few notes, like maybe two or three words for a little section to sort of remember what that was about. And you do that just making little notes. And then he would put away the original piece and his notes. And then I think it was later that night or the next day, he would bring them back out and try to rewrite it from memory and using those notes only to recreate it as close as he could. And who knows, maybe improve upon it. And then after he rewrote it, he would come back and compare it to the original. So that's not quite copywork. It's actually maybe mentally more challenging. Like, can you retain it? What did you retain of it and why? Again, tapping into certain uh, a cadence of a sentence that stuck with you maybe or some sort of literary technique that the author used if they used something like a chiasma, for example, which is what JFK was famous for in his speeches. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. It's where you take, you say almost the same thing, but then you flip it a little bit and it takes on new meaning. That's a chiasma. So Use it very sparingly in writing, for sure, even in speaking, because it can be overdone. But you know how memorable, like I could do it on the spot just now because of that technique. Alliteration and rhyme, if used sparingly and carefully, can also be a wonderful technique for our prose. And there are other things like triples, using triples, uh, three groups of three can add a sense of style. And we that's the kind of thing you're going to pick up from these masterful writers that you admire. And that's why it may be worth the effort. I mean, even if you just copied a paragraph from something you truly admired, an essay, a biography, a memoir, you're like, why do I love this so much? Or if you do struggle with something like dialogue, you want to start using that in your, um, in your, the life stories that you're, you're writing for people. And you re realize, I, I don't know, it's not very, it's not how people really talk. How can I do this well? then go grab a novel that you feel like really held your attention and, and just copy out some of the dialogue and see what they did. 
I'm laughing to myself here because I have my I have a um, stand up file open file folder on my desk here and I'm looking at the one <laughs> that says writing practice and exercises and it's full of what I guess is called copy work because I actually do really like doing it a lot just a little bits at a time so usually a paragraph at a time and it feels good because I use a pen on paper and it really allows you to see the mechanics that are uh, that go behind the effect that the writer achieves and that for me is golden because you can't or at least I could never get that just as a reader, even as an avid reader, um, to, to actually take something and write it out. You're, you're kind of decoupling all of the, the parts. It's almost like, um, my nephew who in his high school, his last year as, as a senior in high school, he and his friends had an old truck. They took it entirely apart. They took the engine entirely apart and then they rebuilt it. And so, you know, uh, you're you're able to understand things on so much of a deeper level. And actually, I, I copied out something that you wrote in your blog post, which was copy work forces close reading. So yes, we can be uh, we can do a close reading of something. But when you're actually writing out those words um, onto paper, it's it's like nothing else. It is it's very different from actually from just reading, I feel like. Yes, I, I agree. And I also really love your analogy of taking apart the truck. You know, you can really take apart any, to any degree, you could take apart any level of a person's writing and then put it back together. That's sort of, somebody used the word templatizing. I don't know. I don't think that's a word. Maybe it is a word. I don't know. But you could templatize a sentence that you really like. Oh, I like the way they put that together. And it was a little, if, especially if it's a little bit of a compound complex sentence, it's a bit long and you're like, oh, I love the balance there. And I love how that was long, but it didn't feel long. What did they do? Okay. Open with a, a phrase and then there's, you know, it's a subordinate clause and so on. And you're trying to figure out where the subject was and where did the verb fall and then you can see so that you can break it apart into the parts of speech and then use that as a model as a template for a sentence that you're going to write using completely different phrases and 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 uh, vocabulary to write your own yeah. sentence and you can do that you can do that with paragraphs too you can see what was the first sentence second sentence third sentence what were they saying at the beginning how did they close it out so then you're expanding now to the next level and do that right. for a paragraph and then you can do it for a whole chapter to see how did they break that down and that's a great tool then to figure out organization and i think those could be really useful tools for people who are doing life stories is trying to figure out the that flow of a bigger piece by break you can start big and then go small or you can start small and expand out you know the way i think of it on the sentence or paragraph level it's using the ad lib um, approach so just like you said you're you're identifying which ones are the nouns which ones are the um uh, prepositional phrases, which ones are the verbs, and then you're replacing them. And sometimes I just do it. It doesn't have to have anything to do with um, a bigger piece of writing. It's just the practice. Because I think that if you practice these types of sentences, you're growing your own skills at writing um, better sentences, more creative sentences. Um, sometimes as beginners, we are more comfortable with the short sentences. Now, it's you you definitely need to master the short sentence because it's very important in writing, but you don't want to have the same uh, the same cadence throughout the 
the the paragraphs and throughout the pages that you're writing. So it is very important to expand your repertoire of different sentence structures. And that's a great way of doing it. Now, the other thing that you were talking about, and I love how you, how you express that you said, you know, you can, you can start on with sentences and then you can go to paragraphs and then you can go to like bigger pieces of the work to see how they're organized and I think that's a great idea too. When you, uh, that's where for me, marginalia comes in. So I'll find a piece of writing and it doesn't have to be life story writing because, um, we take elements of biography, memoir, even novels, and we are using those in the life stories, even though the life story is its own animal. Um, but if I find something that I that I like in the way that it's structured, I will go through and I'll notate what is happening, you know, how they're starting off, maybe how they're adding some backstory within a paragraph, and then maybe how they're um, summarizing rather than uh, rather than giving a scene. And all of that makes us better writers, I think. And I don't know about the other life story writers out there. I did a little bit of writing before I came into this business. Um, I did some mostly book reviews for newspapers, but that did not make me a professional writer. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I had this mindset that, oh my gosh, am I good enough? So for me, it still is the case that I, I want to always be improving my writing skills and matching that then with the storyteller's voice. I think that's great that you had that heart to improve that that drive to improve. You know, what I was suggesting in this conversation are these are things you can do without spending a dime. It's just you're investing your time. And I know you just said earlier, time is what, you know, that time is money, time is our, our most valuable resource. So I understand that that could be a big, you know, that could be a big uh, sacrifice because you could be writing. But what if you become a more valuable story, life story writer, because you're the one everybody wants because you do such a great job and do it so masterfully. And and you, and you don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to have a book out there with your, if Mm. some people have their names on it, I generally have as told to Amy Woods Butler, um, um, sometimes not, but usually people people want that on the on the cover. I don't want schlock out there mm. with my name on it. Um, so and and as far as the time goes, um, you know, I find this kind of practice um, writing to be very relaxing. So it's actually something that I really like to do, you know, on the weekends or in the evenings. Um, the time constraints for me are more because during the workday, I charge by the hour. So I don't want to be fiddling too much with the writing when I know that I'm on the clock and the client is paying me for my time. Now, in my own creative writing, which, you know, like I said, I don't do do all that much of at this point, but I can fiddle, you know, until the cows come home. <laughs> and that's probably not a good thing because if, if you really want to get stuff out into the world, you also need to know when to say when. Um, and I'm guessing, is that something that you, that clients talk to you about? Um, is there the procrastination due to perfection problem in the people that you, that you uh, coach? Are you kidding? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Procrastination for various reasons, but yes, um, absolutely. That drive for perfection. I have one client who struggles to get a single sentence out because, oh. uh, you know, the, the desire for that, even that to be perfect before moving on. And um, so that's, 
pretty stifling and trying to free that person up is one of my biggest um, goals and hopes that I can unlock that. But yeah, fiddling, you're right. That's, that's how we can um, lose money and just yeah lose opportunity. And one of the right. things I really encourage in, in the digital uh, project that a person might be working on. So for example, a, an article that's going to be published on your website and using your blog functionality, there's a lot of, you've got a lot of flexibility there. It's going to be published and it's going to be live in a certain format, but you know, you can go back in and change it. So there's some freedom in that, that it's not printed on a piece of paper forever in that form. So there's a little bit of, a little bit more of a, a minimum viable product mentality, mm. which is from the agile programming world is becoming more widely spread. Now this idea of an MVP where you get this is the, this is good enough to get it out there and share it with my audience, and you get to decide what's good enough. And the, the perfectionists have a very high level of what is the minimum, <laughs> but th- there there is a little freedom there because you know you can shift and pivot and and improve it and insert insert something later or tweak a sentence or fix a typo. And of course, you don't have that freedom if it's going to be printed on a piece of paper and given to exactly. People. So if somebody's just now getting into, um, and here I'm talking specifically about the writing, but if they're just getting into doing life story writing, and maybe they came from a career where they did not uh, do any kind of writing, are there other little mind hacks that you have to get over that fear factor of just starting and getting something out there? You know, I think because you have the advantage of starting with material, you're starting with stories that other people are providing for you because you're doing an excellent interview that's drawing that out. Uh, you're, you're using maybe existing um, interviews that other people have, have conducted and you have access to that. I'm not sure how you get all of your source material. But because you're starting with ter- material, that's a huge advantage. But um, yeah, in terms of getting over the fears, I would say... If you can uh, do some timed writing where, again, if you were doing it for yourself, so let's say it's your own project and not serving somebody else's story and their words, and you're just writing just for yourself, uh, free writing is something we call it, free writing, where it's timed writing. You just literally start a timer. Could be for any amount of time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, I think beyond 30 minutes, you're, you're going to get tired. So, you know, 10 to 25, maybe in that range and start small when you're just starting out and you put pen to paper or you put hands on the keyboard, start the timer, and then you write without stopping. And there is something about that action that you just have to keep going. If you make a mistake, you have to keep going. You have to keep moving. That's one of the rules. The pen has to keep moving. The fingers have to keep moving. You can't go back, go back, 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 backspace, or, you know, move the cursor over and up. Just keep moving forward, moving forward. And that is a simple, simple technique, but it many times can help the perfectionist overcome. And that you could also do it by number of words. Like I must get 250 words out without stopping. And, And that might help you get a draft done. Of, of a section of something. And then you can always go back. And I, I think that idea that, you know, there you put on your writer's hat and wear the writing hat first. And the writer is given complete freedom to just go at it. Uh, I think Barbara Kingsolver once said when she gets to work, 
she puts the baseball cap on backwards and just, you know, goes to town. Later, you come back in with an editor's hat. And I like to picture the editors of of old, you know, of having a fedora. A fedora, <laughs> right? Yeah, sitting there with a fedora. And, um, and that person gets to smoke the cigar and get a little more picky, right? You get to go back in and, and make it better. That's that's the gift we have as writers. We have different phases. So let it have its messy, free form. No, no criticism, no wrong words. There's nothing wrong. The only thing wrong with the first draft is if, if it doesn't exist. <laughs> so if you, I love that. Yeah. And I, I shouldn't take credit for that. That comes from someone else. And I don't remember who it was that said that. But it's so, so important to realize that getting a first draft done of anything, uh, your own work, or the life story that you're working on, get that first draft down. And then you can always go back and make it better and better and better word by word, sentence right. by sentence. And the, the whole idea with free writing, I, I've used that myself, and I've coached other people to use it. And it is, it's sort of like lubric lubrication for your brain. Um, and I, I think what it does is it tells you, you're going to make mistakes, go ahead and make mistakes. And look, after you made the mistake, it wasn't that bad, was it? Like, it's not that scary. Because like you said, you can go back and fix it. Um, one of the back when I was doing my own creative writing, and I was doing some fiction writing, this was years ago, long before I had the story scribe, my, my, um, my life story business, I was working in this tiny little office that I had. Um, it, you couldn't have even used it as a bedroom. It was so small in, the, in an old house in St. Louis. And um, I was struggling to write a scene in a short story. And my brain just kept getting stuck. Um, it, my imagination, it was like my imagination seized up and I just couldn't do it. And I was feeling miserable. Well, <laughs> This is this is so odd. It's you know human psychology is so odd. So I had um, I can't remember now if he was a window cleaner or if maybe he was he was there to do the cable or something. At any rate, there was a man, a serviceman, who was on a ladder because this this little tiny room was on the second floor. He was on a ladder, and all of a sudden he was in the window, and he had to do his work. And I'm sitting there with my back to him, but at the computer, and I was too embarrassed not to be typing because this man is right there. And I thought, what is he going to think if, if I'm just sitting here and my hands are still? So I just started typing. And it's that was my first experience with free writing. I had never even heard of it before that. And it worked. I got the scene done. And the the better thing was, because I don't think it was probably a very good scene, but the better thing was I realized, oh my gosh, if you've got some sort of out uh, outside force, um, so like, like you're saying the timer, you're going to put the timer on for 10 or 15 minutes and you have to write. You've got a guy looking over your shoulder and you're going to feel stupid if you're not writing. It it works magic. And then all of a sudden you, you, those, those blocks just kind of fall away. That is a hilarious story. I love it. I don't know if that you, was it shame or, or something? That, oh, it was so absolute shame. <laughs> but I love that. But to unlock, it unlocked something and it proved something it to did. you. I really love that story. That, I'm glad we got that on tape for you yeah. to share with other people. And it, it kind of reminds me of how when people, um, you know, they set a goal, let's say, to work out, and it's just on them, and they're supposed to get up and go to the gym, and then they, oh, the bed is pretty warm and cozy. James Clear was talking about this in an interview. He said, oh, the bed is so cozy, you don't want to get out of bed to go, so you sleep in and you don't go. 
He says, but if you build in an external thing, which is, you know, and we're talking about a timer, or maybe you'd have to check in with a writing buddy and say, yep, I put in my 500 words, or yeah, I, you know, I finished my draft. But that he said, you call a friend and say, I'll meet you at the gym at 6am. And then you're a chump if you don't go, right? You don't, if you don't show exactly. up at the gym. And I think that it's, it's something similar there. Like, I don't want to let somebody down, or I don't want to embarrass myself. Or I, I, and then you realize I can do this. I can get out of the bed and go to the gym. I can do this. I can put my fa- fingers on this keyboard and I can start typing and it may not be great, but I can get some words in. And next thing you know, it starts to flow. Like you said, lubricant for the brain. It's like a warm up for, for getting things going in, um, in, um, in my youth, I had a pump, one of those old fashioned pumps and you had to prime the pump. You had to pour. It's like, how can you do this if you don't have any water to start with? But you're supposed to pour water in it, and that's called priming the pump. And then you, you're you're pumping the big handle, and you pour water in, and somehow, I don't know how, but pouring the water in then starts to prime the pump in a way that now it can suck out the water that's way down there and get it moving. And so I think that's what you're describing there, that the, the, the free writing, that being right. forced to write got you to write, and then you can write. And, you know, if you're, if you're writing for somebody else, you still have to get through these blocks. You're still at some point going to have that hesitation. Now, um, knowing that you have to pay the bills is another really good way of, of getting yourself beyond the blocks, but that's, that's usually slightly abstract. So with you, if you're starting out and you're not entirely confident in your skills, um, these are good ways, I think, of, you know, like you said, the, the free writing, I think, is an amazing way to get yourself started before you turn the timer on, before you officially start your workday, do some of that, and then it'll loosen things up and it'll make you feel more confident in what you can do. That's good. Yeah. Well, and I know that there are a lot more of these ideas in... Um, in your book on being a writer. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. This has been wonderful. But if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to find your books, uh, we didn't even talk about your courses, but you also, you're a writing coach, but you also have some online courses. And if people want to look into that, where do they go? Well, the easiest way to find everything is at my home base, which is annkroker.com. So if you can spell my last name, I have no E after Ann. So it's A-N-N-K-R-O-E-K-E-R.com. You can find buttons and tabs and whatnot to find all of that. But the courses, yeah, I have one. I have a free course people can get that um, it's on writing writing sentences using and focusing on sentence openers and just a reminder that we can start our sentences in a lot of different ways and and they can still be short sentences i know you were talking about mastering the short sentence you can still start it in different ways although they do get a little longer in my examples but um, that is one thing that they could just grab and they can go to ann croker and just click on courses at the top and it takes them to where i store those which is teachable and um yeah and i have of course my podcast and croker writing coach and they can subscribe to that anywhere but also have access to it at my at my hub thank you i I highly recommended that like i said at the beginning your podcast was how i found you they're short little, um, not, I shouldn't say little because they're packed with wonderful ideas, but they're short. I, I don't know how long, you know, I mean, I think some of them are five minutes, some of them are 12 minutes. They're just very good for inspiration and education with writing. So um, yeah, I, I highly recommend listeners to check that out too. Thank you. I'm glad that you found them useful. It's been a really fun thing for me to be able to provide free coaching really in a way right. with that. And it's what you're doing here too. 
Yeah, yeah, it's fun. We're kind of teachers at heart, I'm guessing. I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, and thank you, and um, good luck with all of your future endeavors. I, I appreciate you coming and talking to us. Thank you. What a treat to be here. I'm glad to get to know your listeners a little bit, and I hope they have enjoyed our conversation. And that does it for our interview with Ann Croker. If you want to see links to the things that we talked about, including Ann's website, her books, her classes, and her podcast, head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 48. And remember, if you still like to get in on the drawing for the free copy of Scrivener, the writing software, leave a review of the podcast on iTunes and send me a quick message via email to amy at thelifestorycoach.com with I reviewed the podcast in the subject line. That's all you have to do. You don't need to let me know what you said. Um, All of the reviews are anonymous. I just need to know that you left one. And I will put your name in a hat and the drawing will occur the week of February 18th. I'll be announcing that on that week's podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this has helped. I hope you've gotten some ideas that you can bring back to your business. Until next time, go out and save someone's story.